How you responded to what you just saw tells me a lot about you and your life. If that energized you, I'm glad you're here. If that made you want to reach for your phone because you've got 27 things that you need to get done before tomorrow because today is Sunday and tomorrow is, is Monday and time is flying and people are dying and you just need to get through your list really, really fast, I'm really glad you're here. If that just like kind of pushed something into your soul, then this is exactly probably what you need over the next couple of weeks. Last weekend, we talked about the vision of Jesus for every one of us to be spiritually whole or healthy, to be sent with purpose, and to be moving in the direction of God's call. You're going to hear these words a lot over the next months, healthy, sending, and movement. Last weekend on Vision Weekend, we introduced the mega theme for the fall. We're calling it Forever Change. And I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, the spiritual goal for the Margin Series is that you would forever change your approach to life. In fact, if you're living exactly the same way you are 30 days from now, this will be an epic fail. So I'm inviting you to step into it. We're going to focus on the first part of the vision of Jesus about getting spiritually healthy. So I'm not talking about losing a few pounds or changing your diet or lowering your cholesterol. I'm referring directly to your spiritual ability to be able to live with margin. Margin. A guy by the name of Richard Swenson wrote an amazing book called Margin. And in the first chapter, he captured me when he said this, marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdressers because you were 10 minutes late dropping off the kids at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your purse. Margin, on the other hand, is having breath left at the top of the staircase, money left at the end of the month, and sanity at the end of adolescence. Marginless is the baby crying and the phone ringing at the same time. Margin is having a grandma to call to take the baby for the afternoon. Marginless is having a load and to carry that load that's five pounds heavier than you can lift. Margin is having a friend who can carry half the burden. Marginless is not having the time to finish the book that you're reading on stress. Margin is having the time to read it twice. Marginless is fatigue, margin is energy, marginless is red ink, margin is black ink, marginless is hurry, margin is calm, marginless is anxiety, margin is security. Margin is our culture. Marginless, I'm sorry, is our culture. Margin is completely counterculture. Marginless is reality and margin is the remedy. You tracking with me? If so, take a deep breath, okay? After years of doing it the wrong way, I would define it this way. Margin is the space between life and losing it. Let me say that again. Margin is the space between life and losing it. And let's have an honest movement. We are just, we're addicted to marginless living, right? We push and we text and we communicate and we Facebook and we work and we play and we drive and we strive at warp speed and it's killing us. We live our life at a breakneck pace and then we're completely shocked when we break our neck or even worse, break our own soul. Living with margin is completely countercultural, and we're a little shocked at the audacity of God Almighty Himself when He shows up and, like it or not, makes a bold stand about margin. Because here's what you need to know. God is continuously calling His followers into the margin. 
Why would God call us to live with margin, with a little life around the edges? I mean, when I say margin, hopefully you get a picture in your, uh, of your brain of a clean sheet of white note-taking paper, right? And you all know there's little red lines that kind of go all the way around the edges there. And I always used to wonder as an elementary school kid, why in the world did they waste that space? Like the only thing we ever did with it was put our name and the date in the top corner up in the margin. I didn't understand it at all. To me, it looked like it was just a complete and total waste until I heard a wise person say this once. There's a word for the written page written without margin, and the word is unintelligible because there's no space. It's all just too packed in. So it's just a big glob of words or a big glob of bills or calendars or schedules or past due notices or frustrations or angry words or disappointments. And that all runs together in this great big pile. And you know what we call that pile? Your life. Yay. And we just can't stand the fact that our life is just made up in this ever-escalating pile of, of stuff and things and appointments that we need to get to. And we get a little frustrated when God shows up and I quote and says, don't chase after that stuff. Pagans chase after that kind of stuff, which is kind of a harsh word for people who don't know anything about God. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Don't chase after that stuff. And then Jesus says, because your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need, and then into the margin, God begins to whisper, and He says this, but seek first His kingdom, and all of His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and we hear that, and then we look at our iPhone and go, you've got to be kidding me. For this series, we're going to look at four areas that God calls us when He calls us to live with margin. I'm going to throw you at the, them at you this weekend. So I'm going to tell you what the margin is. I'm going to give you the scripture so you know I'm not making this up on my own. And then I'm going to give you the cultural enemy that's going to press back against this first thing Monday morning. Okay, are you ready? Here's the first margin. It's something called Sabbath. All right? So, Old Testament. Jesus is setting up... Jesus. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three members of the Trinity are setting up this amazing society known as Israel. And into that, there's 600 and some plus rules, and then they kind of narrow it down to a top 10. And in that top 10, you'll find these words. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your sons or your daughters, or your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it, what? Holy. Anybody see the word busy there? I mean, it's amazing to me, right? God modeled the need for this kind of pace, and then He demanded it, and then He demonstrated it for us. And I want to remind you of something. God did not take a nap on the seventh day because He was tired. Okay, God is omnipotent. He has all power at all of the time. He doesn't need to take a nap ever, but He was doing it so that we would get a clue. That if you're going to really live life, you have to learn to live with margin. He wanted to show us this rhythm is important. Let's be unbelievably honest. We do not do, and I don't care what day your Sabbath is, okay? I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays. That's how it goes, right? They hand you the microphone. You guys show up on Sunday morning. This is work day for me. My Sabbath is Friday. On Friday, I rest. I spend time with my wife. 
I slow down and I savor. That's the root word that actually Sabbath comes from. Okay, let's just be honest. We don't use Sunday or Sabbath for strategic rest. We use it to play catch up, right? You guys already have a to-do list to do, don't you? Bust it, right? I got to get out of here. I got to buy this stuff and I got to get to the Seahawks game. I got to watch that whole thing and I got to pack everything into the evening so that I can go into Monday feeling somewhat organized. So what happens to your Sabbath? Poof, right? Disappears. If you look at it from a different perspective, if life really is a rat race, what does that make us? Rats. Aren't you glad you came to church, right? That's encouraging, right? See, there's a normal enemy that presses against all of us. I call it hurry sickness. You're like, how do I know if I've got hurry sickness, Grant? Well, here's some of the symptoms. If you always feel rushed or pressed, if you're constantly multitasking, if waiting in line drives you crazy, if you're attached to your phone perpetually, if you trip over your words because your brain can't keep up with your mouth, if you eat faster than you drive and drive faster than you eat, if you wish that Grant would hurry up and get through this stuff because you've got a lot of stuff to get done for the rest of the day, you're infected with hurry sickness. That's just number one. How are you doing so far? Okay. Here's the second margin, something called tithe. If the first one offended you, this one will just tick you off, okay? Because some of you are like, careful now, preacher. You're going to go from preaching to meddling, and you need to mind your own business. So just for the record, I did not write this next verse. God did, okay? In Malachi chapter 3, there's a typo. It says 8. Just stroke it out. It's Malachi 3, all right? Where God said, bring the whole tithe, which is a tenth, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. People get hooked up on the front part of the verse and they never read the last part. It says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there'll not be room enough to store it. So let me tell you God's plan for your financial life. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 back off. My money, my job, my life, all of this stuff. Whose money? Whose life? Whose job? Just in case you're wondering, that breath that you just took, that was borrowed. God Almighty just pressed that into your lungs and let it come back out again. You can't do, and I can say this at the 11.15 because you guys get this. At 9.30, I get letters about this stuff, all right? You can't do jack without Jesus. Because he decides whether you're breathing or working or earning. That's all. This is all his. And he's got a plan for it. He basically says this. For every $10 that God empowers you to make, God would like for you to give one of them back to him in an act of faith and trust. It's as simple as that. Just like, where's that in the Bible? Right there. Or I just read. Okay. Wants you to give it back to him in an act of faith and trust. But let's be honest, there's an enemy that triggers immediately. As soon as I started talking about it, you started reacting to it, right? It's a two-headed monster called fear and cluelessness. Okay, the number one reason we don't want margin in our finances is because we're just scared. We're just like, I have a hard time making ends meet as it is. How in the world am I supposed to do that if I'm going to stretch it even further? We're terrified. We just simply aren't going to have enough to live off of. Can I be honest with you? I've been a pastor for 25 years. For the first nine years of my ministry, I lived in direct disobedience to what God told me to do with the money that he blessed me with. Total disobedience. I justified it by saying, God's got my time. He's got my people, stuff like that. And any little tiny little bit of talent that I actually have, I give him all of that. When it comes to this sucker, 
hands off, God. This is mine. This is my security. I came up short. I was completely clueless about where my finances were actually at. The Bible actually says we're supposed to track that stuff with an ugly little word that, word that starts with a B called budget, right? It's like, right? I had my own financial deal, right? I had the patented financial method, the fish book patented financial approach of with, if you're within 400 bucks, you call it good. That does not work because I'm married to an accountant, okay? <laughs> not a wise idea, all right? See, I was terrified and I was clueless about what God asked me. What I didn't know is that God dared me. That's what it says there. Test me in this. He dared me to find out something that I've learned to be true. God's 10 is still bigger than my 90. Can I get an amen? God's 10 is still bigger than my 90. Now, this is controversial, and it's going to stir stuff up because I know what you guys watch on your television. You watch guys in really nice suits with really fancy Rolex watches for the record. This was a Macy's Day Black Friday special and a gift from my wife. And she had a coupon because she's awesome, just so you say it, okay? All right? But you turn on your TV and you somebody in a flashy suit and a Rolex watch and they feed you a line that if you send them a dollar, God will give it back to you a thousand times over. And what you really need to do is just plant some seed money and God will come through for you. And you're going, you've got to be kidding me. I don't blame you. But it's in the Bible nonetheless, so we're going to talk about it. That's number two. How are you doing so far? We're only halfway through, Right? Here's area number three. It's the margin of compassion. This principle is simple. God says this over and over in Scripture. In your work, as you're harvesting God's blessing, whether you're actually agriculturally based or whether you actually go out and and earn a paycheck and bring that back home again, in your work, as you're harvesting, however it is that God blesses you, you're supposed to leave a little around the edges so that you can experience the joy of helping somebody out. So Old Testament, it was a completely agricultural-driven society. That's why the idea of taking a day off was unbelievable to them because every day you'd go out and collect food and that's what you fed your family with. And yet God said, one day, I don't want you collecting food. No refrigeration, difficult to store that kind of stuff. And yet God said, I need you to trust me. But while you're doing that, this is the direction from Deuteronomy 24, just one of the examples. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf of wheat, okay? So they would gather the wheat into a sheaf and God basically said, when you're gathering that and you overlook one. You just leave one out there. Don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands. I know people respond to the tithe one, and they respond to the generosity one. They go, but you don't understand, Grant. I'm poor. In comparison to who? If you're in this room today, You're in the top 4% of the most wealthy people in the face of this planet. Do we understand that? And if you have a home, you're in the top 1%. It's all relative, isn't it? Boy, it's getting quiet in here all of a sudden. See, but we tell ourselves, no, 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 I don't, don't." you know the reason why we try to fill ourselves with stuff that's not true? It's because we don't have any margin. 
God, our generosity takes on an enemy called selfishness, right? It's all about me, my time, my schedule, my money, my house, my dreams, my purpose. And God keeps calling us out of that saying, is that really what you want your life to be? We've got time for one more. One of my favorites. It's the margin of rest. So I've been a pastor for more than a quarter of a century. It's hard to believe sometimes. I've sat at a lot of bedsides with people who are getting ready to step from this life into the next life. And I want to tell you something I have never heard while I've sat at a bedside with someone who was preparing to die. I've never once heard a human being say, I should have spent more time at the office. I should have been at work a little bit more. The greatest regret of my life is that I didn't punch the clock a little bit harder. I have never heard a human being say that. You know what I hear them say? Where's my family? And what's sad is often there's nobody there. Why? Because they didn't live with any margin. You know, we know it's true, and I can say it, but the truth is we chase it anyway, don't we? We just go at Mach 4, and then we wonder why. See, life just seems so burdensome and so difficult to get through, and we give in to an enemy. Now, some of you are going to think the opposite of rest is work, but it's actually not. In fact, work is biblical, just so we're clear. The Bible says you should have a job. You're supposed to work and make an income. You're supposed to do that. Then you're supposed to steward it very, very well. The Bible is full of verses about work. That's not the enemy. This is going to be controversial, but I'm going to tell you, the enemy is actually something called progress. We don't think of progress as bad, and it's not bad until it starts crushing in on top of your life that you can't even focus. I have an iPhone in my pocket right now. You know what it's done twice since I started preaching? It went off, which means somebody's assigning me work that I did not agree to, right? And that's just normal. Progress is cool until it starts pressing in on you and literally starts squeezing the life out of you. I promise you, we're going to come back and spend a lot of time on this one, but let me just dip my toe into it just a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, written by the most wise man that's ever lived, the same guy that wrote Psalm 127. We just finished a series by Solomon. He says this, one handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Anybody planning on spending this afternoon chasing after the wind? Doesn't that sound like a great thing to invest your life in? Now, if you're going sailing, that would be a different animal, okay? Just think about it, right? One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. That's not talking about being lazy. It's talking about being wise. It's talking about understanding that God wants you to experience margin. I like standing in the commons because I like watching our church family flow in and out of the building. I watch for the people who come in and try to find some place to lean and then just do this. You know what Jesus would say to that person? Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely 
and lightly. Why don't we choose to live freely and lightly? There's a simple answer. It's the same thing that keeps us from believing in margin number two. Something called fear, right? There's a fear that comes with living without margin. And the fear is this. If I actually do what God has told me to do and have some margin in my life, I'm going to keep falling further and further behind. I'm not going to be able to keep up with everybody else. And people are going to go sailing past me. And, and this, this piece of the pie that I'm supposed to be chasing, it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I just simply can't afford to do that. So as I'm explaining this to you, I understand that your heart and your brain are saying, I can't take time to rest. I can't give it away. I can't give it to God first. I can't leave anything around the edges. I can't because if I ever take my foot off the gas pedal and live with some margin, everybody else is going to get what I'm missing. I finished the thought at the bottom of your outline. The only answer to that fear is the faith that God will fill in the gaps with His provision. So I'm making a decision. If I actually choose to live with margin, I'm also exercising the faith to believe that while I'm doing what God told me to do, that He's going to fill in all the gaps for me. So this whole month or so, I have a question for you. If we were sitting at the Woods or Starbucks right now, I would ask you this question because it's the one that's just working inside of my dysfunctional, broken little heart. Would you consider the possibility, just consider the possibility, that God is asking you to live with margin so that He can prove to you that He can fill in all the gaps? And that if you live with margin, you won't be left behind at all. In fact, you'll be ahead because the payoff for living with margin has an eternal reward that doesn't even get measured this side of heaven. Would you be willing to consider that? Let's wrap this up with a margin thought from Psalm 23. So I'm standing at a graveside a couple weeks ago doing what pastors do, reading Psalm 23. The man that we were burying his earthly remains, and believe me, he was not there because he loves Jesus passionately. He lived life with margin. He'd walk around this place and he would amaze me at how many names he knew. Because he had enough margin in his life to create really cool relationships with people. He didn't see people as inconveniences. He saw them as friends. And if you weren't his friend, give him 30 seconds and you would be. And he lived his life, which is with this kind of an easy flow that was unbelievably beautiful. But I'm standing at his graveside and I read these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And the word quiet waters just caught me because if I was to be really honest, I would say my life doesn't look like quiet water. It looks like white water. It's fast and it's turbulent and it's somewhat dangerous. And I began to look at that verse and I just kind of wondered, is God lying to us? When he says he'll lead us by still, quiet waters and refresh our soul. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit came and tapped me on the shoulder. And he reminded me of something that I'm going to keep reminding of you, you of for the next three to four weeks. God says he'll lead you beside quiet waters. That's what that verse says. But everybody in this room, including myself, I have to decide whether or not I want to drink or just sit and watch as the water flows gently by. Or to do the unthinkable, to actually rest or even go and play in it. 
So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do and myself. I'm going to challenge you to cannonball into the still quiet waters of margin. When you think about it, Jesus is asking us the same question this week as He did last week. Do you want to be well? And some of you are like, no. I like being addicted to this. I like the fact that it begs for my attention. I like the fact that it interrupts my conversations with God all of the time. I like the fact that I'm driven by my thumbs and I've got a thousand things to do, which is why they make it really easy for me to scroll. God shows up as we embrace our little mat, the way it's always been for us, and He asks us a question, will you trust me with the margin? If, if you give that to me, will you trust me to fill in the gaps and the provision? See, really, when we talk about margin, we're talking about faith to believe that if God actually says this, that it'll work. Let's find out. Can you do me a favor? So I woke up this morning thinking about the message last night. I did something in the message last night that I did not have planned. It was not in there. But again, as I'm standing out here, you know, it's kind of funny. And I hope and pray that when you come to church, God talks to you. But He talks to me too while I'm talking. It drives me nuts. But it felt like He was just pointing some things out to me. See, in this pocket here, I had, I had this. It's actually gone off twice while I've been speaking to you. In my other pocket are the keys to my beat-up 2005 Trailblazer, the vehicle that I drive way too fast in because I'm usually running a few minutes behind. They're both symbols of marginless living. On my wrist is a watch that whether I like it or not just keeps ticking. Some of you have looked at your watch already and it just keeps ticking and you're wondering, when is the, gonna guy, where is the guy up front going to stop talking about slowing down? <laughs> How ironic is that? And in my other pocket is a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic that I worship. I've seen parents choose this over their own kids. I've seen brothers not talk to each other for more than two decades because they were fighting over a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. And we worship it and we chase it. And if it's not full, we freak out. And God says, will you trust me with the margins? I mean, I didn't even get off the stage, and I've got four idols. So could you do me a favor? Everybody in this room has one, too. Ladies, prepare to grab your whole purse, all right? <laughs> but I'm going to ask you, would you do me a favor? Every one of you has got one of these. Could you just take it out and hold it in your hand? I got four, okay? I got four. Your wallet, your phone, your keys, whatever you got. Wow, there's way more movement in this service. <laughs> the 930 was so freaked out, they didn't move an inch. It's just like, thanks for being honest. I love this. It's good. 
just whatever it is. I'm just going to ask you, would you do me a favor? Would you just hold it? Here's what I love about Christ the King. I love it on Thursdays, which is Mike's Sabbath. I love it when he calls me and he can't help himself and says, I got this song. Could I sing this over the church? And then he sings it to me and I go, you've got to be kidding me. So I'm going to ask you to think about it. Just hold on to whatever it is that steals your margin. And then I want you to listen to Pastor Mike and the band as they sing the dream over you. Let's just have a moment of worship. Why is margin so important? It's because if you don't live with it, you'll chase these voices and ignore the most important one of all that calls you to come home and rest. I have not done a good job of modeling margin as your pastor. I hope you'll forgive me for that. And I had to get right up on the edge of completely burning out before I took Jesus seriously. One handful of rest is better than two hands full of labor striving after the wind. So we're going to chase some peace. Would you pray with me this morning, Father God? Would you teach us what it means to live with margin? Would you help us to trust only you can fill in the gaps. Lord, this is about faith for us. Faith to believe that you'll meet us in the margin. So may the changing start today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to bring the service to conclusion and we're going to have a moment of practical application. We're going to give back to God our tithes and our offerings. and That'll freak some of you out a little bit, but can I just say something? If you're visiting with us today, we don't want anything from you. Your gift to us is the fact that you showed up and I'm so glad you came. I hope you'll come back and see us again. This is a moment when the followers of God that choose to call Christ the King Community Church home It's an opportunity for us to trust that God is enough and that this is not our idol. May we be filled with joy as he meets us in the margin of giving back to him. The ushers are going to start in the back, work their way towards the front and the offering. As it passes you by, I would say you should stand up, but you're already on your feet. So why don't you just stay right there? So ushers, you're going to come right now and just begin to do that. And Mike's going to lead us and we're going to celebrate with one last song and give joy to the God who's not watching his watch right now. He's just looking at you and loving you no matter how hurry sick you may be. God bless you, church.